Good evening from Plunkett Studios in Largo, Florida. I'm Scott. I'm Abram. And we are here with episode 579 of F5 Live, Refreshing Technology, for Sunday, November 15th, 2020. This show is a proud part of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. This week, new processors are showing up everywhere, internet usage is going up, and Twitch is admitting it's screwed up. Wherever you are and however you're accessing our show, whether it be on social media, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, or Snapchat through a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, TuneIn, or a myriad of other options through our live stream platforms, livestream.com, Twitch, Periscope, YouTube, or Facebook, or on our website, plughitslive.com. Thank you for making us a part of your day. There are two ways that you can do that. The first is uh, you can join us live Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern by going to f5live.tv slash join us. There you can chat with us during the show and give your feedback on the topics as we talk about them. Or you can always subscribe at plugkitslive.com slash subscribe. There you'll see all of our shows, including F5 Live, Pilch Point, Plug Kids Live, Presents, and more. And of course, you can find all the ways that you can watch, listen, and follow along. Hey, Avram, it's good to be back. Yeah, good to be back. I always, I always hate oh. when when we have to take a week off, but uh, oh my goodness, last weekend Roboticon absolutely stole me. Um, my co-host for Sunday um, made a comment that um, her social battery was low, and what a great way of explaining how I felt about Showtime last week. <laughs> so yeah, it had to happen. <laughs> Yeah, I can I can dig that. Oh, so um, what's been up with you? Yeah, it's oh, you know, not 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 a lot. I will say I I will say this, and I'll have uh, I think I'll have more to say about this online or whatever. But um, I just spoke to today, and I'm I'm trying to help out a what I would consider to be a worthy charity uh, effort. Um, that I will put the word out on, on social. So, um, one thing I, one thing, uh, it really caught my eye and I reached out to this local charity here in New York that is helping get, uh, computers for kids who, uh, are remote learning and now you, um, and don't have, don't have slash can't afford to get a computer for this. Now you might ask, shouldn't the school give them a computer uh most most schools do what what what's happening though is that apparently um in at least in new york city sometimes the school has a has a device and they give it and it's broken and then they can't you know they get on a waiting list to get another device meanwhile they can't attend class and there was actually a case really quite quite shocking, but not, not completely unique where, um, a nine-year-old girl, um, was declared a truant and her mother referred to social services because she couldn't get online. Right. So, um, so this charity, um, called including you that, um, that I'm, I'm working with, they, uh, are going out and trying to get donations of, 
uh, both computers and cash to buy computers so they can help out uh, kids like that. Uh, and so far they've placed um, computers with about 50 kids nice. and they have 200, 200 open requests uh, from kids in the New York area. Plus they also give have done some with kids who are in Mississippi, but primarily right now then they're based in New York. So when I read about their, their story, um, like I didn't know these folks before, uh, when I read about their story, I reached out to them and, and we had a nice little chat today. And so I'm going to be going using whatever small amount of influence I have to try to get uh, people to uh, to donate systems to them. And they are looking for really anything. <laughs> uh, they're not I don't think they're very particular as long as it can log into Google Classroom. So it could be an old an old PC. It could be a Chromebook. Um, they will take desktops, although laptops are probably better because probably. you're giving them to to kids and you also have to have if you give them a desktop then somehow someone's got to get them a screen and uh -huh. and a keyboard and a mouse which is not un completely untenable but um you know those are other things that would need to be purchased or donated so um they are also looking for how to get internet because that's another side of the of the problem is that some of the kids some of the kids will have access to Will be somewhere where there's wi-fi so that's good but but some of the kids don't don't have internet at all uh -huh. on the internet at all and they've been trying to get them things like 4g hotspots or things like that so that they can uh, get into into class sure. so um anyway uh fresh in my mind i thought i would mention that um i thought i i thought i would mention that if people are um i will say this if people who are hearing or seeing this and interested um the website for the charity is including you.org uh and they also have set up a gofundme for people to donate money that they can use to buy systems but they're also just looking for uh people to to send them computers that they can distribute so anyway Very cool. that's uh that's something that's something that's been on been on my mind since since I read about what they were, were and the whole charity was founded by an 11 year old girl. Nice. Um, so, um, and they also do mentor, do mentoring programs The the donating PCs part of it was actually like, not the first thing that they did, but it's like an add on you know, that really, yeah, that really catch, but that's obviously where they need donations. And that that's where, what, where like the need is really great because obviously a lot of people are, are, I mean, there's, I don't know if you've been keeping up with this side of the news, but um, in New York City, they may actually be closing all of the schools soon. Uh -huh. um, not not tomorrow, not Monday, but uh, they may be. And of course, there are people who are part time going in person, right? And then there are some who are on remote all the time. Um, we don't. We my my family were not in the New New York City school district, uh, but uh, you know. My son is going remote all the time, but you know we're we're fortunate he has a computer. Um, right. Although what we've heard is some of the computers that his school district is giving people uh, are rebooting themselves in the middle of class. <laughs> um, of course they are. So um, are running sys running Windows updates at like noon in the afternoon or whatever, rebooting <laughs> for twenty minutes or something like that. So. Um, you know, is it any surprise that some of the school districts would not be able to give no. uh, kids no. uh, 
good quality devices and, and manage them. Uh, so, um, doing, so a, anyway. doing a lot of work with local school districts here. No, not a surprise at all. Yes. Some so, of them I'm surprised uh, anyway, that they can find the class in the morning. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, to be fair, they're teachers. They're not, I mean, well, they do MIT people, but yeah, whatever. Uh, so anyway, you know, I just thought I'd bring that up. It is, you know, I think it's a concern, not just here in New York, but nationwide sure. is kids being, I mean, it's, digital divide has always been a concern, but um, never more so than now with kids actually being required to be online to do yeah, their schoolwork. For sure. And, you know, here we've worked uh, a lot with an organization called eSmart Recycling that uh, that takes in computers, you know, does, does uh, low-level formats on the hard drives or replaces the hard drives and then gets them out to, to school students and uh, um, sometimes other countries where, uh, where uh, educational computing is not an option at all. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a, great, a great cause and even more important today than possibly it's ever been in the past. So it's a good organization yeah. to bring attention to, Abram. Cool. Um, obviously for those who have not been following along on my antics for the last 10 days, I've been working with a, a different nonprofit FCDI, uh, putting together the Roboticon online event, um, which, which works, uh, basically out of a, an underserved part of the Tampa area, um, over by the university, um, the university of South Florida. And we've been doing, a. um, a robotics education program. It's been a tremendous amount of fun. We've had uh, hearing similar to this organization, you know, hearing how some of these teams have been spending their downtime um, creating uh, opportunities for for additional learning for other students. Um, there was one team that helped a uh, a foster house um, build. Um, a STEM program uh, out of the foster house, which I thought was super cool. Uh, so th those stories have been so much fun to listen to uh, and get involved in this past 10 days now. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been, it's been nonprofit time for us. <laughs> um, and if you want to follow along on that roboticon.net, uh, we've got, I cannot believe I'm going to say this a whole another week. <laughs> um, we had a presentation this week about uh, robotics and space exploration, which was really cool. Um, this coming week, we've got uh, all kinds of other presentations too. So uh, definitely check that out. With that, I say let's get down to some news. This week's Nifty Gifties on F5 Live is probably powered by the Microsoft Store. Whether you're looking for a new laptop, a tablet, an Xbox, uh, the new Xbox Series S and X are available, uh, games, or a whole lot more, you can get them at the Microsoft Store. And remember that current students, uh, parents, faculty, and active military can save up to 10% on almost everything. And you can find out about all of that by going to f5live.tv Microsoft. 
kind of ties in with your <laughs> with your topic there, Abram. Uh, so we have talked a lot about uh, how Intel has created a situation for themselves uh, where everybody seems to be coming for them. And uh, this week we saw another major contender uh, finally actually throw their their hat into that ring. And that, of course, is Apple. Um, their fourth era of Macs uh, was officially showed on, shown off. Showed off? Yeah, that's going to happen again at some point tonight, I promise. Um, has officially been shown off. Um, uh, the, the original era ran on the Motorola 68000 uh, series processors. The second era on the PowerPC processors which were built by Motorola and IBM. The third, obviously, the ones that are out in the wild right now are Intel. And the fourth will uh, come care of Apple's own silicon um, and the processor, the M1, which is the uh, big brother to the uh, the A14, which is currently powering the um, iPhones and iPads that are in the wild. Um, they... Obviously, you're going to be different, right, than, than an Intel chip. Um, they are, like like most mobile devices, uh, ARM-powered. Um, they have an 8-core system processor, but not really, because it's actually two 4-core processors, one for high-intensity uh processes and one for low intensity processes, which allows for uh, significantly greater battery life and things like that. If it can throw things to that, that lower powered processor, it has an, an actual eight core GPU um, and it has a dedicated processing space for uh, AI, which obviously uh, the Intel chips don't have. So, I mean, it's a, it's, it's definitely a big move. Um, Apple switching from, you know, the known to the unknown um, in their own hardware in, in the Macs. But I think it was kind of inevitable. Don't you think, Abram? Yes. So I was just looking at some of the benchmarks that have uh, leaked out. Uh, and the claim is that the, that the M1 uh, is faster than, for those who know graphics cards, on graphics, an NVIDIA GTX 1050. Now that is the low end NVIDIA card from uh, not not the current generation, but the prior, the bottom of the line prior generation. Uh, and supposedly in some benchmarks, it's coming close to AMD's RX 580, which was middle of the line a couple of generations ago. Now, for integrated graphics, as you said, eight GPU cores, that's pretty de that's pretty decent. Mm -hmm. um, and we will have to see whether um, their architecture, which is very common in ARM chips, um, in ARM-based chips. I mean, for folks who aren't familiar with with what ARM is, so every chip, pretty much every processor that is not from Intel or AMD including Apple's chips, including NVIDIA's, including uh, ones using a lot of servers, are all, all based on what's called ARM architecture. Uh, and, but even though the different chip maker vendors make it, the intellectual property, uh, the, 
the original instruction set, intellectual property, that stuff uh, comes from an organ, a company called Arm, which was just acquired by NVIDIA. So, um, or I think, I guess they're in the process of acquiring because I don't think it's past regulation yet, right? Right. So, um, so in your phone, it's an ARM processor. In your set-top box, it's an ARM processor. And if your car has an infotainment system, it's an ARM processor. Uh, a lot of, some of the servers that you're hitting on the internet are using uh, Intel or AMD x86 style processors, but a lot of them are, are now using ARM processors. So, um, or the, so or, it, it's, or the sister risk, right? Some, so ser some, some servers some are the, running the sister, uh, architecture risk. True. Some servers are using risk. No, but no end of, but really I don't think any end devices use, use risk at no. this point. Um, so, you know, so anyway, if you may not know it, but you probably already have, if you, if you're not familiar, you probably already have an ARM processor or five in your house. Um, it would be scary and, to count just how many I have in the studio. Right. I mean, try to, try to count if you, <laughs> you know, if you have, if you have a dozen Raspberry Pis like I do, each one of those is an ARM processor. So, um, so there, so there's another, there's another bunch. If yeah. I try to think about it, there's probably at least 20 ARM processors in my house. So, um, but bottom line, I mean, it's not, they're not, um, you know, reinventing the wheel, but obviously each manufacturer that makes ARM processors, uh, adds their own special sauce to it. That's mm -hmm. why you can say that, you know, compare Qualcomm, a Qualcomm processor to a processor from Rockchip to a processor from Marvell to a processor from, from Apple. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, but they, a lot of them have what's called, have what you describe, which I believe, uh, unless this is the copyrighted name is always called big little architecture where you've got like the, the four big core, a bunch of big cores that mm -hmm. are your fastest cores. And then you have a bunch of slower moving, lower clock speed cores that you would give to other, other tasks. Right. And you might be surprised to think that like video streaming might actually be one of the low core, low, pro, low speed tasks, because it actually doesn't require as much as say, like crunching, you know, a photo in Photoshop or something. So, mm -hmm. um, so far it seems like the M like these M one processors could be pretty decent, but I don't think, but they have also been a little bit overhyped, uh, in the sense that. Apple said 98% there, their new M1 powered laptops are better than 98% of PC laptops. Which is, of course, nonsense. Because um, I think, I mean, I think you and I could sit here right now and name more than 2% of the market in computers that there's no way they're going to beat. And the fact that they refuse to even, uh, uh, say what benchmarks they've used. Uh, normally, the yeah, lawyers. It's, it's it. Normally, lawyers are like, you have to publish every piece of information so we can't get sued for, for, uh, for false advertising. There is nothing in their claim. I've scoured the so, website. <laughs> so you could yes, and there's a really wonderful article that every now and again, as a journalist, I see an article where I have like, I wish I'd written that. Mm -hmm. 
uh, by uh, one of my idols in this industry, Gordon Ong of PC World, where he he takes apart the ninety percent claim and how bad how bad it is. This does not mean that the the uh, M1 chips are not good. Right. Uh, they probably are pretty good if you are using software that's optimized for them. Mm-hmm. But they are. But they claim that they're better than ninety eight percent of PC laptops. You know what? I can make those numbers work if you want, because the way that you could do 98% of what? 98% of all computers that people currently own and use? Well, could most be. People, the average, last I checked, the average um, laptop selling price was like $450 or $500, and the cheapest MacBook is 1000 So if, you, if you're talking about is it fa- if by volume, First of, first of all, I don't know if it's faster than 98% of PCs that are, cur- that are currently being sold, uh, even by volume. But if, if you know, we want to go and say that there's, you know, there's people on the internet who are running uh, Windows Me or something <laughs> yeah, when right we're, now. When we were right? looking at those stats a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, so sure, there's somebody out there with a fifth. There are people out there with 15 year old laptops, sure. and there are people out there with brand new hundred dollar, two hundred dollar uh, Windows laptops that they've bought that are using a Celeron. Mm-hmm. So if you if there's like I don't know 10 million, of, oh, that's that's probably low. If there's like a billion of those laptops, then maybe 98 percent of them are slower than a brand new MacBook. But if if um, you know, you want to compare to the market, the vast marketplace of PCs that people can buy, particularly ones that are in the same price range mm-hmm. as a, as an Apple product. Then, uh, then I don't think that's going to be the case. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've got you know a thousand dollars, twelve hundred dollars. Now you can get yourself, depending on what model you get, you can get yourself a pretty nice Core i seven powered. Uh, powered laptop for sure um, and that's where the comparison should should be uh, but at the same time in a way it's apples and oranges because uh, either you really <laughs> like apples uh, I see what you did yes <laughs> I wasn't even trying that um, it, it either you like Apple's OS or you or you don't mm-hmm. you know like I mean you can run with you can't. Oh, so you can't run. I don't even think you can run Windows on these. They have um, not said. They have dodged the question real hard, which suggests to me they're trying to make it work in time for for launch, but probably are not going to. I can't see the the the, the thing that they would have to do there is it's not impossible uh, because. Uh, you know, for folks not familiar with this, there are Windows on ARM laptops. Mm-hmm. There are a few laptops that use ARM chips, which means that uh, while some drivers or things would have to be adjusted, it probably could be not that hard to make it work. Uh, but uh, Microsoft is very, um, they, Microsoft doesn't make it easy for people to just get Windows on ARM, although. Yeah. There is a way of sort of downloading it for to try on a Raspberry Pi where it works it works really poorly, uh, but you know you can achieve it. Um, so it's not like regular Windows where you can just go and buy a license uh, or download it uh, yeah. from their site easily 
So I don't I don't know if Microsoft really wants people to be installing Windows on ARM on their own. Uh, so no, yeah, I, I don't I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, it'll it'll definitely be interesting to see to see what does and does not work. Um, Apple has been very tight lipped on a number of things. Um, uh, Parallels has been one of them. Um, another has been gaming. Uh, it sounds like the majority of Mac games are going to be blocked um, on, on the new hardware simply because they will not function um, because, you know, games tend to, to live at a, at a significantly lower level than like a regular application. They access the hardware more directly. And so um, that's not a huge surprise. Uh, so, you know, w- we'll see. Um, I definitely, like usual, I recommend that you avoid the first generation uh, of something like that because, you know, there's going to be stuff to work out, just like the consoles, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the first batch, the, the initial couple of months are always rough with something that new uh, and different from the current paradigm. So, uh, interestingly... Apple is not the only one who has uh, uh, announced putting their own silicon into uh, into uh, effect. Amazon has also um, announced that they have uh, a new application-specific integrated circuit um, specifically for AI work, which will allow Amazon to lose a little bit of uh, reliance on NVIDIA um, for for their uh, AI work, particularly for Alexa. Um, they are hoping with this with this new uh, server farm design that they will have a 30% cost reduction and a 25% performance increase um, simply running the exact same tasks through their own uh, uh, targeted hardware instead of a more... Um, universal uh hardware like a like a gpu from from nvidia so that's that's an interesting move it's not surprising we've seen a lot of a lot of the big server farm companies get into um in into processor design google's got its own uh processing system now amazon does uh microsoft has been uh toying with it as well so not a surprise but it is it is a good idea, I think. Uh, it's not great for NVIDIA, uh, but I don't have stock in the company, so... <laughs> uh, yeah, but NVIDIA wins coming and going, right? No, that's... Because of... In... It, it's possible, for it, sure. It's an ARM chip. If it's an ARM chip and NVIDIA is acquiring ARM, you know, they can't... You... I mean, this is, I guess, why it's so great for NVIDIA to yeah. acquire ARM, right? Because now they get a piece they get a piece of the action no matter who makes the chip. Mm-hmm. Now, because ARM licenses the you know, the core the core technology and then all these companies build you know, build upon it. So yeah, they I mean I, I would guess that their margin is probably better on chips that NVIDIA that are NVIDIA branded. But they're not getting completely cut out of the action. Yeah, I didn't see. I didn't see if. Uh, 
I think it's pronounced inferentia, but I can't be sure on that. Um, I believe I did not see any uh, any reference to arm. I read the whole thing through, and I didn't, don't remember arm being uh, being referenced. Uh, it might be. I don't know if neuron core is a uh, is an AI specific uh, processor infrastructure, but it talks about that a number of times. Um, so I, it might be ARM. It might be something else. Couldn't begin to tell you, uh, but yeah, there's there's definitely a possibility. Nvidia is still in the mix somewhere uh, down the line, but uh, it's it's definitely been a yeah. A, if it Big week it's not for, for certain. It could be risk V. Yeah, that's true. Which is the uh, the kind of sister, but not under the arm umbrella. Mm. So, uh, it, I, I'm I'm impressed because uh, Alexa is already quick, um, and so you know the fact that the company is working on trying to make uh, responses even quicker, I think is a great move uh, as as the two in particular, Google and, and Amazon kind of battle in that space. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see uh, what this accomplishes uh, with time. Uh, they're also going to allow through the Neuron SDK, they're going to allow developers to access it, maybe not right up front, but uh, that's, I think that's a great idea too. We'll keep people updated on, on what happens here. And, uh, and uh, yeah, we'll let you know. This week's Pilch Point with Avram Pilch is proudly powered by PureVPN. The best way to protect your privacy online is with PureVPN. You can hide, hide your online activities, say goodbye to regional restrictions, and improve your streaming quality. Plus, it's available for almost all your devices. You can get a special price and a 31-day money-back guarantee by going to pilchpoint.live slash purevpn. So, uh... Processors have not been the only uh, hardware uh, talked about this week, uh, including uh, from Apple, right? Yes. So after Apple made the M1 announcement this week, uh, we started to get a lot of interest in uh, our article about USB 4 because Apple's M1-based uh, laptops and their Mac mini that they announced all are going to have USB four. They're not the first actually because the Intel Tiger Lake powered laptops, uh, otherwise known as 11th gen core laptops uh, that came, that started coming out about a month ago also have USB four and they have Thunderbolt four, but let's break it down for a second. Cause a lot of people are rightfully confused about what USB four is and what you can do with it uh, and how it relates to Thunderbolt 4 and Thunderbolt 3. So take a step back with me a couple of years. Thunderbolt 3 has been out for a couple of years now. My ThinkPad that I got two years ago has it and it's been around for a couple of years more than that. Um, Thunderbolt 3 allows you to transfer data at up to 40 gigabits per second, which is 
eight times faster than most USB ports. Most of the USB uh, USB three ports that people have, the little blue ports, uh, can go at up to five gigabit per second. There are uh, ten gigabit ports, and there are uh, Type C twenty gigabit ports that are quite rare. Uh, but most of the most of the time, it's five. So what do you what do you do with a Thunderbolt? Well, for one, you could have a docking station like this pluggable docking station that I just uh, tested and just came out this week. Uh, this this pluggable here um, is now out for three hundred dollars, and it allows you to output to dual monitors, and it actually gives you a choice of like. HDMI or DisplayPort, so you can have like one of one either. You have two monitors, and each one is you get your choice. Nice. Uh, and it has um, it has like seven USB ports, five on the back. These are these are all five gigabit ports, but then these two on the front are ten gigabit USB ports, uh, and this outputs hundred watts. Uh, well, actually, technically ninety six watts of power for uh, charging your up to a MacBook Pro. Um, so this is, uh, I'm throwing this in as another little thing that I uh, tested this week. This is a this is the pluggable TBT3 UDZ, say that five times fast, um, dock. Now, this is one of many Thunderbolt docks. And what's great about Thunderbolt is it has the bandwidth that you can output, um, you know, 40, 40 gigabits, so you can do um, front direct from your graphics card, um, really fast, uh, really fast video. Not like a lot of USB docks that use Display Link technology, which does which works on any USB, but then uses some of your CPU's bandwidth to uh, to manage the video and compress the signal. Um, so Thunderbolt three has been great not only for docks. But for eGPUs, which are external graphics cards, where you can literally get a box which holds an NVIDIA or AMD graphics card connected up to the Thunderbolt port on your laptop, which otherwise maybe has just has integrated graphics, and now you can play games. Uh, and that's possible because of the bandwidth of Thunderbolt. Um, also, you can connect, get really, really, really blazing fast external SSDs. So those are the things that you can do with Thunderbolt 3. Now, the issue with Thunderbolt was always, in order to have a Thunderbolt port A, you have to, you have to get it certified by Intel. And you know that costs money. And I think there's some licensing involved. And, and so you never, ever, ever see an AMD system with, with Thunderbolt, because AMD Intel. And you never saw a non-Intel system with Thunderbolt. And even among those that were Intel, it wasn't standard. Now, USB now USB 4 comes out, and USB 4 includes in its spec compatibility with Thunderbolt 3. It's not required in the spec, but most laptops that have USB 4 will su also support Thunderbolt 3 devices. Uh, Phones will also have USB 4, so they phones may not support Thunderbolt because you don't really need to put a dock like this or an eGPU on your with your phone. You don't need to to work those together. The USB 4 gives you 20 or 40 gigabit per second speeds, and 
it gives you the ability to do something called uh, port tunneling, uh, protocol tunneling, which allows this the USB connection to share bandwidth between different types of data. So right now, USB has had something for a long for a while called USB alternate mode, which means that a lot of laptops and um, have USB have send video over a USB C connection, and they can send the videos usually just using the DisplayPort protocol, which it, uh, sometimes it's HDMI, but it's usually DisplayPort protocol. Um, but when they do that, nobody's really managing the connection to say, okay, DisplayPort is only using 10 of our 40 gigabits per second. Let's give the other 30 to this external SSD that's trying to copy a file. Uh, with protocol tunneling, the USB 4 can smartly manage that so that if you are sending a bunch of data from your webcam and you have an external backup drive, maybe your backup drive is even a PCIe backup drive, and you've got an eGPU and you're sending data, it is able to parse that up and give each, give app, you know, play traffic hop with the bandwidth to make sure that each device is getting as much bandwidth as possible, as opposed to just giving all of the lanes, all of the um, data lanes to maybe a device that doesn't need, need all of them at once. Uh, another thing USB 4 gives you is USB 4 will allow, also works with alternate mode and it will allow DisplayPort 2 standard over alternate mode. What does that mean to you? It means it can just support an 8K 60 hertz monitor. Um, and in order to do that, it actually needs more bandwidth than USB 4 can, can actually do. USB 4 does 40 gigabits per second, but that's bi-directional. 40 gets gigabits going up and 40 gigabits coming down. Uh, if you use DisplayPort 2, it will actually send all send all eight lanes of data to the monitor and therefore use 80, up to 80 gigabits. Um, but however you, you look at it, USB 4 is a good thing and has a lot of potential. So where where are where are we with it? Well, right now. Apple's M1-based laptops and desktop that were just announced support Thunderbolt. They're not using Intel CPUs as we have just discussed, but they are, but they are using Thunderbolt. Uh, the new Intel-powered laptops from Dell, Lenovo, HP, all of those companies, those those are going to also have USB 4. Now. There's a little bit of confusion because some of those that have USB 4, it says that they also have Thunderbolt 4. Uh, Apple actually advertises that they have Thunderbolt 3 and USB 4, but they don't say Thunderbolt 4. Well, what's Thunderbolt 4 in comparison to Thunderbolt 3? Nothing. It's actually nothing. Thunderbolt 4 is a certification program from Intel that certifies that a computer can use all the features of USB 4, including Thunderbolt 3 compatibility. So if your computer supports USB 4 and 
the Thunderbolt 3 compatibility has been enabled and it has 40 gigabits instead of 20 gigabits. Because uh, as I said, there's it could be just a 20 gigabit connection. Um, if it has all that stuff, it is Thunderbolt 4 compatible. It's just that the company is probably not paying Intel the money to put that logo on their box, basically. So no one should worry about not getting or getting Thunderbolt 4. Uh, what you really want to know is, is my new computer going to have USB 4? And if possible, is my new computer going to be Thunderbolt 3, have the version of USB 4 that's Thunderbolt 3 compatible? Um, obviously, if they say that it's Thunderbolt 3, then, then you know you're compatible. But one thing that's a little bit interesting is there's compatible and then there's compatible. Uh, Apple also announced this week that its new M1 computers will not work with Thunderbolt 3 eGPUs, even though they're advertising the laptops as Thunderbolt 3 compatible and as having USB 4. Um, they will apparently not work with eGPUs. Now, when you think about it, the eGPU is might eGPUs and docs like this are pretty much the main reasons why you want Thunderbolt in the first place. Uh, I mean, you also might want it if you want just a really to buy a really expensive, ridiculously fast external backup drive. That's the other common use case. TV production But, and stuff like that. Yeah. So so for that for that you would get but i mean it it is real like one of the things that people would really want thunderbolt or usb 4 for is an eGPU and apple used to tout uh i think with their intel chip that you they actually did, didn't they have an official eGPU they were recommending to people on apple.com yep um and they made a big so, deal when they launched it yeah so I don't know if they plan to change that, but um, they Apple kind of quietly, uh, it wasn't in the official announcement, but they told, I'm trying to think which outlet it was. Um, we have it covered on tomshardware.com um, that uh, they've, they've said that eGPUs will not work with these new laptops. So that's kind of, that's kind of a bummer and, and points to the fact that Uh, especially when it comes to something like eGPUs, just because something says it's Thunderbolt 3 doesn't mean it's necessarily compatible. Um, certainly, if you're out there looking for an eGPU, there's some really great sites out there that do compatibility testing, because even with laptops that are Thunderbolt, that are Intel powered that are Thunderbolt 3, there have been compatibility issues with eGPUs. So, um, but overall, USB 4 is promising. Now, there's really no peripherals out there out yet that set that are labeled as USB 4. The closest that we have is that there is a dock from OWC that is labeled as Thunderbolt 4, but which I guess means, you know, by extension, it's USB 4. Uh, all that that would really mean is that it's capable through the dock of doing 40 gigabit per second transfers, uh, hopefully. So, um, you know, that, that is the one peripheral out there, but so far we haven't seen anything that was marketed as a USB four peripheral. On the other hand, though, if you bought a Thunderbolt three hard drive, a Thunderbolt three external SSD hard drive, wouldn't come close to the 40 gigabit per second. Um, 
it will work in a USB four port on on these MacBooks. So, you know, you will get that forty gigabit per second of bandwidth, even though that even though those SSDs are not, you know, have not been labeled as USB four devices. So, um, you know, we've got a really big FAQ on USB four on um, Tom'sHardware.com and you know, if you're interested in learning about this new connection standard, which will, you know, slowly but surely um, be become standard on laptops, uh, I encourage I encourage you to check it out. It's it's definitely a lot of information uh, and and a lot of like weird branding from Intel on Thunderbolt four, for example, not exactly meaning anything. <laughs> It's just, right. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's a, it, very it's weird. a branding program. It's a branding program. And, and, you know, I don't know if Intel really wants you to, to know that, right. Really wants people to, to, um, you know, to shout about that. Well, the cat's but out of the bag not, now, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's no, see, I mean, this I is, I mean, they may at some point, they've been very close to the vest about this. So at some point, who knows, maybe Intel will roll out and say, oh, look, there's some other Thunderbolt 4 standard that's faster. But um, what it what it is is really just a certification and therefore not not really meaningful. I mean, I guess if you I guess the good news is if you see something as labeled as Thunderbolt 4, you can pretty well assume that it, it if it's Thunderbolt 4, then it's going to support all the features of USB four, which means forty gigabit transfers, not twenty, True. and backward compatibility with Thunderbolt three, uh, which is not um, not required of something to say that it's USB four. So, you know, there there is a lot of jargon surrounding this. I certainly don't think people should run out and buy a new laptop just so that they can get one that has USB four. Uh, I mean, the the big change in USB that was a really big deal is getting power over USB. Mm -hmm. And that happened a few years ago. Uh, and uh, frankly, every time I talk to the people from the USB forum, as I did USB implementer forum, as I did on Friday, I always ask them, when are we going above 100 watts? Uh, so far, no answer about that. Because <laughs> um, uh, USB 4 still supports, USB 4 supports USB power delivery, which is the the power standard, but uh, as with anything else, the amount of power delivery varies mm -hmm. uh, and can be up to 96 or 100 watts, but but no higher than that. So for any laptop that has integrated graphics, that's usually fine. But then when you get to a system that has discrete graphics, like a gaming laptop of any kind, you still have to use a proprietary connector to get that higher at higher wattage so it's uh it's always interesting avram to see how incredibly similar yet d different we are because i ask the exact same question of the wireless power consortium uh when are we going to get more than uh <laughs> whenever i talk to them uh as opposed to you talking to the usb implementation forum and asking the same question 
I, want, I, I mean, I personally haven't I talked to the wireless my, power want, consortium in a while. I want my wireless kitchen. I want the key standard to be out in the wild now that it has a name. Uh, that's that's my uh, my my big thing in power yeah, right now. I mean, that that is something that I'm really missing. I, I will say real quick, kind of inside baseball, one thing I'm really going to miss by not being at CES this year is that's that's a topic that I end up covering a lot at CES and then almost not at all the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. Somehow every CES show for the last like three CESs, I've ended up with appointments with like three or four different wireless power vendors who want to talk about how they're just this close to being able to charge your phone over the air, right? And by wireless power, I mean really wireless power, uh -huh. not putting your phone on a down on a Qi charger so that, you know, the, so that you don't have to plug in a cable, but you still have to leave it here. Um, but like wireless over the air charging. Um, <laughs> Nikola you know, Tesla charging. Still, yes, exactly. I mean, they've shown me things. It, it can be, it can work. And I think this year we saw one of the first devices, commercial devices to, to do it. I'm trying to remember the name, but there was actually an, a Nintendo Switch controller charger mm -hmm. that uses the technology. But I think your controller still has to be in the dock to do it or something. It's not, um, you know, it's still it's still not exactly what, what we would want. Right. Well, that's <laughs> obviously that was a, a weird side <laughs> tangent for us, but uh, it's it, it's it's a, a passion of mine, especially the key standard. I cannot wait to be able to put a blender down anywhere on a counter and have it work. Anyway, uh, I'm I I'm always intrigued by the the inner workings of of things like uh, the 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 USB standard and the the Thunderbolt standard and all the weirdness that goes into it. And I am personally not ever able to keep up on all the details. So I always appreciate when you do it for me, Avram. Yeah, we're, we're trying to bring some clarity to something that is a little, a little bit confusing. I should say real quick that the USB IF also doesn't like people to be confused and they like, they, they are among the biggest, most annoyed by all by companies using all these numbers like USB three, one and three, two. And what they actually are going to put as their like packaging logo as a certificate when you get certified for USB 4, not actually going to say USB 4. The, the logos that they use will say USB 20 gigabit and USB 40 gigabit to just literally tell you that's the speed and we're not going to worry you with the version number. But to be, but to keep it real, I mean, people are going to companies don't, mo a lot of companies don't use these logos. And where most of us get our information about what USB the computer has is not from a logo on the package, but from the spec sheet that's on the product page or, you know, the, the retailer's product page or the company's product page. And that will probably continue to say USB 4 and USB 3 and USB 3.2 and all that. Yeah, we're we're never gonna gonna get away from that, but thankfully it's better than uh, uh, Wi-Fi A Q C and whatever stupid things they used to do. So, uh, <laughs> 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 at least there we're just calling it Wi-Fi six now. So, uh, 
anyway, thank you, Abram, for uh, for putting ha- for having this FAQ and uh, and giving us a better idea of what it is that we're looking at for for stuff coming out. Uh, you said that the F- obviously the FAQ is on the website. Yes, and and as we speak on our homepage because we've been getting a lot of traffic for it uh, because people have shown renewed interest, and that's when we've actually made major updates to it on Friday because. I got a chance to talk to USBIF and make sure we had all the latest information. Gotcha. Well, I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> thank, thank you for all of that and, uh, and for uh, getting the updated information. And as always, uh, I look forward to what we talk about next. This week's Extra Life on F5 Live is proudly powered by Razer. Get all the accessories you need to up your game on your PC, console, or mobile device from Razer. Whether you're looking for a gaming mouse and keyboard, like we use here in the studio, a webcam and or a light to make your Twitch stream better, or an entire gaming setup like the Razer Blade 15, you can find it all by going to f5live.tv slash Razer. Um... Obviously, we know that the new consoles are out, um, and uh, the two companies we have talked have taken very different strategies uh, this time around. Uh, PlayStation has kind of continued a business-as-usual type strategy, uh, whereas Microsoft isn't nearly as concerned about uh, the actual console sales as they are about the things that go around it, although uh, the console launch has been good for them. In fact, the uh, Xbox Series X and S has been the largest Xbox launch in history. Um, It was previously held by the Xbox One, of course. Uh, They sold just about a million uh, consoles in the first 24 hours. Um, This time... They have uh, they have sold, I believe, more than more than double that uh, in the in the first twenty four hours. Um, yes, in fact, that's it. They've more than doubled that in the first twenty four hours with the new consoles. But that's not the thing they're most excited about because that's not the part of the business that that's really driving them. And what is, of course, is Game Pass. And the, um, the statistic that they're really excited about is that 70% of console owners of the Series X and the Series S are Game Pass subscribers. 70% of those consoles are attached to a Game Pass subscription. Now, there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, of course, the, the first... And probably most logical is uh, the $1 first month uh, that comes with um, both uh, Game Pass and Xbox Live. So uh, you get your new console, you get your online gaming, and you get a whole collection of, of games for the first month for a dollar. 
hard to pass up a deal like that unless you've already taken them up on that deal. And that might be where the 30% is. Um, there's also um, the idea that there's so many games available uh, for you at launch that you don't have to either repurchase or purchase at all. Um, so you can really test out a wide variety of titles on your new console. And then the the third part is the, um, the uh, addition of EA Play. Uh, so all of those, those uh, EA games coming to Game Pass subscribers. And the last is the Xbox All Access program, which allows you uh, to essentially lease an Xbox um, and get a Game Pass as all part of it. And it, in the end, it comes out um, actually about the same price as, as uh, purchasing and uh, both the console and the, and the service. So I'm not, I guess I'm not surprised that 70% of, of the new uh, series owners are, are Game Pass subscribers, but it's still a big percentage, Avram. Well, look at it this way. What console makers really want and what they get more so than PC game, gaming PC vendors is lock is recurring revenue uh-huh. uh, by locking locking you in in a way, right? So I was just looking at this. I don't think anyone has come up with a definitive amount, but last year, which is a year ago, so who knows how prices have changed? Uh, an expert um, an expert estimated the bomb cost, the bill of materials cost. For an Xbox Series X as $500. So it costs $500. Mm-hmm. Therefore, therefore you are therefore their margin is zero. They're, they they make nothing uh, on it. Yeah. But that would but to say that that they make nothing on it would be quite short-sighted because they because it's all about recurring revenue and getting people um, getting people into the ecosystem where obviously they make money on, I mean, on game pass, mm-hmm. which is the kind of stuff that companies love right. recurring revenue, consistent and recurring revenue. Cons- you know, it's consistent every month you're in it. And then, you know, of course, I, I don't know what the, the situation is, but I'm sure that Microsoft gets a cut, some kind of cut of every game, Mm-hmm. Even if it's not a like, even if it's not from a studio they own, licensing fees for the console, yeah. So, uh, so, and then of course and they those, get to sell you, and of course those like like controllers, true. And of course those both of those both both the games uh, and the the accessories uh, are peak peak and valley type sales. They're not they're not like Game Pass or All Access, which are. Uh, predictable uh, recurring revenue as opposed to peak and valley revenue. Yep. So, yeah, I think, so obviously that's what, that's what console makers are all about, right? They, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. PC vendors would love that. They, you know, they love that too. Uh, They would love that too, but I think. Game game pass ultimate. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's what Microsoft wants, but yeah. I mean, like the companies that, I mean, if you want to know why consoles cost so much less than, than gaming PCs, while 
sometimes, especially in the case of the new Xbox Series X, offering you performance that is, you could not get that level of performance from a $500 gaming PC. No. You couldn't, I mean, I I don't know how, how high you would have to go exactly to get what we would consider comparable performance, but it's probably at least $1,500 mm-hmm. to, to build a desktop that would, that would be offer equivalent performance. So, you know, obviously there are a lot of reasons people love to use PC, love gaming PCs. It's not just for gaming and, <laughs> and there's a lot you can do with it. But the reason why consoles have always been significantly cheaper than PCs is because, you know, the companies that make them are sure to get a cut. Uh, sure to get a cut of everything that you buy for it. Right. And then they have a great shot at you for all this returning, all this, um, you know, consistent revenue versus, you know, you buy an Alienware um, laptop. Alienware probably isn't going to get more money from you until you buy a new laptop. Right. I mean, they might have some companies certainly try to upsell you things, but nobody's really doing it that's successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they have to get their money up front whereas Microsoft and Sony, I mean, the the PlayStation 4 was a great example of this. Um the PlayStation 4 sold for uh uh $47 less than cost. Uh so I mean that was that was, you know, a very uh memorable <laughs> Statistic is that that Sony was literally selling it at a loss um, in in the first I think it was nine months before the the costs uh, broke even, so they were selling it at a loss because they knew they had licensing on on games they had peripherals they had um, PlayStation Plus they had all these other things that that would come in um, but they have continued that model whereas Microsoft has found this this very unique. Uh, you know, Game Pass thing that obviously is hitting uh, hitting a, a a thing for for Xbox users. Otherwise, we wouldn't see a seventy percent uh, attach on on those sales. So you know, they they've obviously found something that the gamers, at least in the in the Xbox uh, ecosystem, have been looking for. Uh, in in the Game Pass subscription, so you know, good on them. Considering uh, the Xbox One almost didn't happen between the E3 presentation and uh, Thanksgiving of that year, um, so much turmoil happened within the company. Uh, they almost just flipped the table and walked away on it. Uh, so you know, to have gone from a, a point where um, the he wasn't CEO then, but he is today. Uh, Satya Nadala was uh, petitioning uh, Steve Ballmer to sell the Xbox division and get Microsoft out of the business because the Xbox One uh, was being received so poorly uh, to to it having its best sales ever and uh, and generating great revenue on Game Pass and. Uh, Satya Nadella today is so proud of what's happening there that he continues to call it out specifically on quarterly earnings calls 
uh, because the Xbox division is doing so well for the company. So, you know, it's a, it's a huge change of position um, for, in this case, just one guy within the company. Um, but in fairness, he was also the one who petitioned to get rid of a lot of divisions. Some of them happened and some of them didn't. But, uh, you know, Xbox was in a rough place after that E3 presentation. The, the head of the division left and it was just turmoil. So to, to see that the company has found a way to, to revitalize it and be proud of it again is, is good to see. And that gamers are connecting with it in a way that Steve Ballmer's uh, uh, attempt at, at attracting the Xbox brand did not work. Xbox music. This week's news from the tubes and F5 Live is proudly powered by Rift Tracks. Make fun of movies, we'll let these guys do it for you. Mike Nelson, Bill Corbett, and Kevin Murphy, the former stars of Mystery Science Theater 3000, are back and doing what they do best, creating commentaries for Hollywood blockbusters and B-movie oddities. It's like watching a movie with your funniest friends. To find out all of the full-length features, the short films, the live events, and TV episodes that are available, you can go to f5live.tv slash rifttracks with an X. Oh, data caps. We talked about them uh, last, probably at the beginning of the lockdowns, when we talked about how a lot of the ISPs were suspending them. They're back in most of the markets. Uh, some have continued those suspensions while others have not. But um, what we have learned is that the world has changed. I think we all know that uh, in general, but the way we use the internet has definitely changed uh, just in the last 12 months. When, the, when data caps were first introduced, they were done as they were pitched as um, a way of dealing with the very small percentage of people at the very top of the internet usage, um, who they called the, uh, the power users. Well, power users are no longer a small, very small percentage at the top. Um, in fact, in 2019, in November of 2019, uh, power users, which use more than one gig of bandwidth per month, uh, accounted for 4.2% of all users. In 2020, that number is 8.8%. So we are closing in on 10% of all U.S. internet users are above the standard data cap number. So if your ISP has data caps... Uh, this is officially a problem for you if you're in that almost 10% of internet users. Um, that's a lot of people. And it has grown so much that there is now a super power user category, which is more than two terabytes of bandwidth per month. And it has gone from just about a third of a percent uh, last year to almost one full percent of all users this year. Clearly, we know where a lot of this usage is coming from. Uh, 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 one, did I say gig or terabyte? Terabyte. Okay, good. I wanted to make sure I was saying that because I st suddenly panicked because a gigabyte you could do with your eyes closed. 
Um, so uh, one terabyte is equivalent to about 400 hours of HD video. And obviously lots of conditions in there, but let's go with that easy math. 400 hours of HD video. For me, 400 hours of HD video, if I was just watching HD video, let's take all of this stuff out of, out of the equation. Um, 400 hours is difficult to accomplish because that's over 13 hours a day uh, in, a, in a 30 day month. I'm probably not going to accomplish that, although sometimes I get close. Uh, <laughs> but uh, let's say now we've got a family of four spending a lot of time at home and you've got Netflix and Hulu and Prime Video, Disney Plus, CBS All Access, uh, and everybody's at home all the time. Well, now we're down to about three hours per person per day, which is definitely attainable. And that's without things like your daily Microsoft Teams call at work or your Skype call or your uh, uh, Slack or whatever you're using, uh, which on Teams, for example, you could have a window of 49 individual videos. Now, they're not HD, but 49 very low quality videos certainly adds up to the amount well, of data of think, an HD stream. Think about... <laughs> Well, I mean, I I wonder about that because isn't that this is it really different in terms of bandwidth to have a window that has a whole bunch of little streams or one that has one big full, full HD stream? It's probably more. It's yeah. probably more to so, have forty nine small ones uh, because you've got all the uh, IP protocol overhead of making sure that packets well, aren't I lost. I assume that you're not getting. Are you getting them all like that or are they just going, I assume they're going to the server and then to you as one stream. Maybe it would all depend on your, I mean, uh, on what system you're using. I bet, I bet some, some get yeah. centralized to a single thing. Uh, and then some might come to you individually. There's, there's peer to peer video yeah. group video stuff. So that would be individual streams for sure. Well, it's anyway, it's very easy to see how someone could use that up because I mean, mm -hmm. I just imagine you have a couple of kids in school. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, what, let's just be clear. Here's what school is for my son right now. It's, it's video conferencing. Mm -hmm. It's video conferencing for eight hours a day. So pretty much right. Except yep. for lunch. So yeah, that's, um, so that's, that's all bandwidth. That's eight of your 13. If you're talking, uh, 400 hours of HD video streaming a month, there's eight of your 13 and that doesn't include you working, you know? That, yes, that doesn't include me working or any of us watching watching uh, TV. Also, presumably that doesn't include cloud backup, mm -hmm. right? I mean, what if you're backing up stuff? That doesn't include... Connected cameras? Um, yeah. Connected cameras. Oh, yeah. All the time. I mean, what if you have some, some nanny cams in your house or, mm -hmm. you know, security cameras, ring doorbell, whatever. So, like... Yeah, it, it adds up and adds up and like you need you need unlimited internet. So I'm looking at a chart here and it's a little unclear to me exactly what all the plans are. Um, you know, it says here that AT&T has it charges after a, after a terabyte. It says internet data cap 1024 gigabyte to unlimited. Does that mean that you can get an unlimited plan or uh, um 
Uh, most of AT&T's plans have a data cap. Uh, you can get unlimited data through the Internet 1000 package, a TV and Internet bundle, or the $30 per month unlimited usage add-on. Well, I would definitely pay the $30 per month because for the overage fees, like the overage fees are really punitive, right? Like mm-hmm. it, the overage charges $10 for 50 per 50 gigabytes, <laughs> right? So that's a lot, right? Because you could, you know, eat through that. And presumably you probably won't know it till it happened, right? right. So now did some of these companies when we first went into lockdown in March, say something like they were waiving their data caps yeah. because they know a lot, uh, uh, kids were having to do school from home. Almost everybody suspended them in the beginning. Uh, some of the suspensions have maintained, uh, others have uh, ended. Right. So, you know, um, <laughs> uh, also, I mean, also interesting this week, we could have had a whole segment on this, uh, but you know, there's a lot of predictions that work from home is going to, I mean, already a lot of people work from home. So let's, you know, I have been for uh, years Let's be real about that. But, but now there's a lot of predictions that a lot of the folks who started to work from home when uh, the pandemic lockdown started are never coming back, right? Never coming back into an office. Microsoft's made uh, it an I mean, option. I, it is, there is a, you know, there's a there's a decent chance. Uh, I mean, my company they closed our New York office. We they're supposed to at some point next year uh, look for a new one uh, when things I guess improve in the uh, you know in the in the improve with COVID. But you know, I I can oh, foresee a lot they, of people. They closed it. Closed yeah. it. Yeah. Oh. It's, it's closed. I mean, we're never we're never going back to that building. Wow. We're never going back to that building again. Now, our case is a little bit, a little bit different than many because the lease was up in February, right? And I think the company always wanted to move us out of there. So, so I think they used this up. They said, like, look, you know, we we don't need to reopen the office, and we're not even going to make any pretensions about reopening the office in like the late fall, just so we can do a giant move and in February when we don't even know what the environment's going to be. So, right. um, you know, that's, that's very fair, but the, you know, I can foresee a lot of companies saying like, Hey, we don't, we're not going to spend the money on this office space. For so sure. even if people, even if people want to come back and work in the office, they may not be able to. So, you know, in this environment where internet access is like, high broadband is like really, really critical. These punitive uh, broadband caps are really, really, really painful. Uh And I mean, I I don't know what can be done about it, but it's like, you know, we were talking at the beginning of this broadcast about, about kids who, you know, don't have internet at all and need it for school, the digital divide. Well, what happens when, you know, not everybody can pay. Uh, I mean, you know, you if people are paying for their basic internet, but I mean, how much of a package are you going to need to avoid getting hit with these really scary caps? And like, imagine that you're someone who is on AT&T or something. Uh, I don't know if they still have the cap in place. Uh, I mean, the cap, the wave, um, you know, the waving the cap in place, the suspension in place, 
but like you know so you have your kids in school all day and then at the end of the month you look at your bill and holy cow you know 50 gigabytes is is what an hour of data two hours three hours of a, like a day of of streaming video how much is 50 gigs you said it's 13 hours a day would get you 13 would, hours a day would, would get it you gets one you to for the month yeah so 50 gigs so what is uh 10% of that would be 100 so 5% so 10% of 13 is 1.3 so uh, about 3 quarters of an hour a day so okay so so imagine cuz they don't have a cap on the overage fees right i presume so imagine if you're getting this 8 hours a day so you're going to be paying $80 a day for your kid to attend school. Right. For your kid to stream school. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, and I mean, I guess if you got that bill once you would call them and yell at them and then you would ask for the, the, the extra to the higher end package right. that, that gives you unlimited, but they would get, but they would get you at least that one time mm -hmm. for sure. Right. They, uh, because I'm sure that's how those fees work is like, oh, yeah, you know, $30 to avoid this fee, but there's probably no cap on the amount of overages, overage fees they can charge you. So, you know, could you end up with like a thousand dollar bill or something? I don't know. That's we've, we've seen it with it's madness. we've seen it with cell phones. So why not? Right. Right. Yeah. Could could you end up with like a thousand dollar bill with these internet overages? I think the worst thing though, and I just have to say this to I don't see this talked about a lot anymore, which is good. But I remember when these data caps first came out, there were a lot of my colleagues in tech journalism who were using the terms like data hogs uh, to describe people who were using more than the cap. Uh huh. And I said at the time, this is terrible. You're doing you're doing you're selling the cap mm -hmm. you're like doing the a sales pitch for these companies on why it's okay for them to have the cap when you're calling people who use the internet data hogs because you know there was there was this conception of oh yeah there's someone who's running like a uh running some kind of uh thing where they're sharing you know illegal music or something out of their house and that, and that must be why they're over it that is exactly yeah the the story that the isps were telling and you're right so many of the people in our industry were buying that obviously idiotic story when in reality i i knew at the time that the isps were preparing for a change of usage we knew smart homes were becoming the norm ip cameras were going to be an everyday uh, thing. I mean, did we yeah, predict? I mean, did we predict ring doorbells exactly? No, but but IP IP cameras were obviously going to become more common, and you know, connected because we were seeing connected thermostats and light bulbs and all kinds of other stupid things, right? And I so mean, cloud, <laughs> cloud backup, yeah, cloud backup, right? I mean, there are people who, and this is not like crazy to do. There are people. Oh, gaming. Let's talk about gaming for a second. You didn't even mention gaming. You're right, I didn't. Right? You didn't. 
and I'm not, and let's not for a second, for a second, not even talk about the amount of bandwidth you're using while you're playing a game where there's so many games like Fortnite and whatever, mm-hmm. where it's all online. Have you looked at recently how, how much, how much bandwidth you use to just install and download a single game? Yeah. Right. Cause, cause there's your, there's your, uh, 80 to a hundred gig, uh, for, for your first yeah. week. <laughs> yeah. Like that's a game, a, an individual game could mm-hmm. be a hundred gigabytes. The, uh, I mean, I was thinking about the caps a few weeks ago when I was doing a massive bunch of benchmarking on a desktop here and I had to download and install five different games. And I mean, I think like Tomb Raider or something was like 80 or a hundred gigs and like Red Dead Redemption was like, you know, 80 or a hundred gigs. I was mm-hmm. like sitting here today, I probably passed some of these data, data cap. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Just installing these games. Right. So. And yeah, services it's, and it's, services like we just talked about with game pass where, you know, you've got more than a hundred games for your Xbox and then a hundred games for your PC. You know, you, you swap games out, uh, you know, every couple of days, maybe because they're available to you, you're going to blow past a terabyte real quick. Has anybody studied whether this stuff actually is a serious impediment to these companies? Cause there's a lot of companies that don't do this, right? Yep. Unfortunately though, as a consumer, you don't have a lot of choice because most people don't have a lot of choices in that yeah. area. Yeah. I'm, I'm fortunate with the move. Now I've got, more than my fair share of choices and uh, none of them have data caps, which is nice. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, a lot of your big guys, AT&T, Comcast, Cox, uh, all have, all have data caps. Although all three of them are currently suspended. Um, I've, I've found a, a page on a broadband site that has information on who is suspended and who is not those five, uh, those three plus Mediacom and Sparklight are all all suspended right now, but yeah, gaming will kill you. Security cameras will kill you. Just being a modern home will kill you, and it totally yeah, I mean, it totally explains yeah. why we're approaching ten percent of all of all subscriptions uh, being over a terabyte. I get it, and almost one percent of of uh subscribers are hitting two terabytes yeah i get it yeah i i think so for i think this is going to have to change period Mm -hmm. like there's going to be some kind of pressure on them to if not unlimited to raise it significantly so that again only if some percentage of people hit it but as a user you shouldn't have to think about it because the rest of the ecosystem is not designed for data caps. Like Netflix is not designed to have you worrying about data caps. Right. Like not like none of these other services and devices and all that. If people have to start now, I mean, our if you really think about it, our the the tech economy counts on two things to be fairly cheap. Internet and electricity. Right. Yep. Uh, if either of those things become so expensive that people are starting to nickel and dime, um, oh, I don't want to buy this 
graphics card because it uses too much electricity or i don't want to play this game because it uses too much electricity right. if people start like if people start actually like really worrying about their consumption of those two things the the like downstream effects on the rest of any internet business any like hardware business are going to be going to be devastating like people need to have cheap and freely available internet i don't i don't even really know i think the thing that we don't really know is is this just profit taking or do they are they actually like how much does it really cost them to give you two terabytes of data? Right, right. and I, I don't think does anybody naturally know? No, probably not even the companies. <laughs> I mean, does it cost like is it is it really iterative? I mean, obviously electricity is happening. There's some electricity being used somewhere to to send data to me from the ISP, so I know it's not zero. Right, but like. At, 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 at what point is it really appreciable because they have to keep building out their network? Like, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I get it that they probably, I could sort of agree that if someone was say trying to run a server farm out of their house on a, on a that, consumer data connection on a consumer data connection, that that might not be a fair use of their, uh, you know, sure. Um, of their $50 a month internet. Right. But Absolutely. for the rest of us, for the rest of us, like it's, this is a serious, this is a serious problem because you, you shouldn't have to think about, about, am I going to be over my bandwidth? Right. When you're trying to play a video game. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of articles that came out at the beginning of the lockdown suggesting that maybe uh, this was the thing that was going to, to end data caps so far. No, although, um, you know, the big three that do have data caps all still have them suspended months and months later. Uh, but you know, we'll, we'll see what the, the end result is, is here in time because it's been a very long time that these things have been suspended. Uh, most of them have been since April. Um, so, you know, it has come back to being the norm to, to not have a charge for, uh, for overages. So, you know, maybe, maybe it will stay that way, but you know, we'll, now would be a very bad time for them to do it. Yeah. Well, not, now would be an exceedingly bad time for them to bring it back. Uh, that would be ex exceedingly bad public relations. Yeah, it would, uh, on their, on their part now that, yeah, Comcast, now that the rate of COVID cases is, is rising. Comcast uh, might manage to go from the number three hated company in the country to two or one if they tried to pull that right now. <laughs> 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 Which would be really impressive to manage to move their, uh, up, that, <laughs> up that chain anywhere above three. The fact that they're at three is impressive. Uh, but yeah, uh, obviously only time's going to tell uh, what happens here, but you're absolutely right. This would be the world's worst time to uh, to bring it back. If they do, it would be way into next year. But yeah, it it could be that it it's over. Uh, but there is a company that relies on it. Uh, the company that put out this study, by the way, Open Vault, is the company that's responsible for uh, the technology that allows them to do data caps. So if you uh, want to hate on somebody, that's them.
This week's DRM not included in F5 Live is probably powered by Amazon Prime. In addition to your free shipping, uh, you get a whole lot more for your subscription, including free music with Amazon Prime Music and a discount on an upgrade to the full Amazon Music Unlimited, free TV, movies, and documentaries with Amazon Prime Video, free games, and a free subscription with Amazon Prime Gaming, and a whole lot more. And to learn more, get your 30-day free trial. Uh, give it as a gift and have quick links to all of these features and more. You can go to f5live.tv slash prime. So speaking of Amazon, let's talk about Twitch again for a second. Uh, so uh, about a month ago, we talked about an interesting situation that Twitch had gotten itself into in which uh, it deleted video from a number of uh, high-profile streamers uh, and sent out strangely vague emails about what had happened. Uh, it had followed a tweet from the creative director of Typhoon Studios saying that Twitch streamers should be required to acquire a license in order to stream games. And while a lot of games do uh, offer that license as part of the purchase, um, there was some speculation that maybe the two were, were tied together, but no. The smart money, at the time we talked about it, the smart money was on the fact that uh, the Twitch community has long ignored copyright law and included uh, playing music uh, in the background of just everyday nothings. Um, and, and so Rhea... The Recording Industry Association of America has ignored Twitch for the most part, but that changed all at once. And uh, Rhea put in a ton of DMCA takedown notices all at once, and Twitch was not prepared. They did not have a system in place to handle uh, DMCAs because they'd been ignored. Uh, nobody was filing them in any meaningful amount. And so all of these came in, and uh, it seems like they panic-deleted. <laughs> and the word delete is important because they did not suspend the content. They did not hide the content. They deleted the content. So there was no way for the streamers to uh, counter with either fair use claims or, you know, whatever. You know, I'm in a room, and there's music in the background. Uh, like, I think we've probably all encountered on YouTube with uh, CES interviews. I know I have several times where somebody puts a claim because booths over somebody's playing music. Uh, so on YouTube, you counter it, you say fair use, it's not my music, I wasn't there, uh, and everything's fine. Not the case on Twitch. So Twitch has apologized for the um, very inappropriate behavior uh, and they claim that they're working on policies and uh, systems to allow them to properly handle DMCAs. But what does that mean for right now? Uh, um, between now and them releasing these new systems, what's going to happen? Are they going to continue to panic delete content? Are they going to uh, like manually move them to another backup server? There is no telling. Because um, they have not been terribly open about that part. But they do promise that that stuff is is coming in the future. What's that timeline look like? Once again, uh. So, 
they're aware that they screwed up, but I, I don't know when a fix is coming. It we, we saw some of this right in, in the, the early days of, of DMCA notices to, to YouTube and stuff where they didn't quite know how to handle it. But at least with YouTube, like they didn't just panic delete content there. There, you know, there was the the ability always on YouTube to have hidden videos. So they just hid them. That's not quite how Twitch works. So that this sucks. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, here, here's here's an interesting question. So, what happens if you're you're playing a game and the music in the game is not exclusive to the game? Yeah. Like, what if it's I don't know I don't know enough about this, but aren't, aren't there any games yes. that have like that use actual hit songs? In Absolutely. Them? Yeah. Um, and and that that has uh, that has encountered issues on uh, on YouTube gaming. Uh, and it's one of the things that YouTube has has struggled with is figuring out exactly how uh, that fits into the DMCA. Most of the time, when a uh, when a counterclaim is filed with uh, with RIA on on fair use terms, the RIA agrees and the the content is restored. Um, now, is that personal precedent or is that you know? legal fair use i don't know um but but uh so far it seems like on youtube uh counterclaims have have been a success uh in gaming but that may not that may not have you know a legal backup there might be a a, a point where that changes because you know fair use is a defense in court it's not a it's not a law <laughs> so there's a lot of uh um subjectivity to it um but yeah on on youtube in general when when a game like if you're streaming rock band for example you're gonna get flagged guaranteed uh or uh fuser the the new uh the new rhythm game that just came out you know if you're streaming that you're gonna get flagged almost certainly um but you know uh counterclaims tend to work there so and, and that's the kind of thing that's that really kind of sucks here, right? Is, you know, maybe it is a, a semi-invalid notice. Maybe it is somebody streaming rock band or something like that. Um, and under normal circumstances, a counterclaim would be a success. Well, there's no counterclaim system. The video's been deleted. Um, or, God forbid, uh, somebody files a fictitious DMCA like... Uh, the Nikola car company did against media organizations on YouTube that showed the video of the truck, not actually driving. Right. We talked about that a number of weeks ago. Um, no counterclaim there either. If it's, if it's fictitious, it's still gone. Bye bye. So there's, there's a lot of problems here that, that uh, Twitch is going to have to figure out and they're going to have to figure out real quick because at this point, they're up against a timer of uh, finishing these systems in time to save their reputation. Because <laughs> at some point, you know, the, the big streamers are going to get annoyed and go to Facebook gaming or YouTube gaming or, you know, somewhere that has systems in place that don't constantly try to screw the streamers accidentally in this case. So the timer is running. 
uh, one of the interesting things that has come out of it, uh, I was talking about this with my brother uh, last week during Roboticon, not on camera, um, is there's one streamer who, like, she, she was just, like, sitting in a chair. And this is her normal thing. Like, she's just sitting there and, like, interacting with people. But there's always music in the background. But since the DMCA stuff, she's not playing music in the background. So she's just sitting there. He's like, the, the mood is so different. Because it's gone from, like, this party atmosphere to super creepy. <laughs> well, she needs to have, like, some kind of radio station of royalty-free music. Mm-hmm. Jump on! Uh, I've been trying to jump get on him. YouTube into the into the 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 royalty free music section. Just hit play. Let them go one after another. Yeah, I mean one one can hope, of course, that those are actually um, that everything that is advertised as royalty free is right. At least at least in the YouTube people can upload stuff there that's copyrated. In in the YouTube content library, at least you know that that's YouTube uh, curated. Uh, inside the the creator studio, there's a uh, YouTube curated stuff that that YouTube has bought the licenses licenses for. So, uh, cool. Yeah, I mean, my you know, my son and I were were driving each other a little. I was driving him a little bit nuts because we were working on on a video game that we want to like distribute on GitHub. Okay, like, you know, really simple little like Python game. And he wanted to have music in it. And he had like downloaded some music that was, let's say, not not royalty free. Sure, <laughs> sure. You know, that mimicked an old game. And I was like, no, no, <laughs> if we want to distribute this, we have to find royalty free music, <laughs> game music. And so like we went and we found some things, you know, and I'm, I'm still thinking like, am I, you know, they were listed as royalty free on these various sites, you know. But you, but but, but what scenarios? The person who put it there, right? What scenarios are there royalty free under? Uh, you know, was it uploaded by the author or somebody else? The things that kids have to learn today because of the internet are amazing. <laughs> like I didn't have to learn about copyright laws I when I was eight years old. I well, also didn't. I mean, I don't fully the, understand the it today. Right, but I didn't even know. I don't think I knew what a copyright law was when I true when I was eight years old. You know, now my son has to know what a copyright law is, and we ended up having a discussion about profit margins today. <laughs> it's like asking me why such something is more expensive than something else, and he's like, "Well, it costs them more." And I'm like, well, maybe they're making a bigger margin. Well, what's the margin? Uh huh. <laughs> Apple, for example. To bring it all the way back to the beginning of the show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe you're Apple and everything has a really high margin. Yeah, because nobody's buying anything else. Anyway. <laughs> well, that is our show. That was a great way to tie right back to the beginning. Um, thank you to those of you who have joined us live. We always appreciate that. If you didn't and would like it, like to in the future... Uh, Sunday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, f5live.tv slash join us. Uh, that's the best way to, uh, to be with us. You can chat with us in the studio, give us your feedback. Uh, if you cannot join us live, that is okay. Plugitslive.com slash subscribe will show you all of our shows, including F5 Live, Pilch Point, Plugitslive Presents, and a whole lot more. Um, 
As I said at the beginning, I'll say it again now, Roboticon has uh, content all week long, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then uh, our closing ceremony on Saturday, where I'm hoping to have a special guest. I'm working on that right now, fingers crossed. Um, so you can join us uh, for that at Roboticon.net. And with that, on behalf of the staff that's not here, I'm Scott. I'm Avram. And we will see you back next time. Ciao.